Hello, everyone. I'm really glad that you were able to join us today, whether it's online. There are some people who've been able to join us, um, our awesome crew here. So if you see them at any point in the future, give them a hand for keeping this going while we're all stuck at home. This is my first time at this space during a service. So I'm a little nervous. So if you give me, give me a break, I will try and get through this. So I'm David. Uh, for those of you who don't know me. And for the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Acts in the Bible, which is basically a description of how the gospel started to spread throughout the whole world right after Jesus was taken up to heaven. Then we were disrupted by hope as Tom Kay and Scruff John Safarian uh, talked about how the hope, the hope that we have in Christ is something that gives us great peace and joy throughout our lives. Um... And then last week, Carrie Stratton got us back into the book of Acts, talking about the very beginnings of a persecution that started on, the, on believers in Jerusalem and the power that they exhibited through the Spirit of God. And she reminded us that we have that same Spirit in us who are believers and that we do not have less power than the early leaders or less responsibility to spread the gospel throughout the world. She explained the beginnings of that persecution that started with Stephen getting killed and then this guy, Saul, spearheaded a push to imprison and kill those many Jews who saw Jesus as the fulfillment of their faith. And this ended up scattering many of those believers out of Jerusalem. So today I'm covering chaps, uh, <laughs> Acts chapter 8 uh, with a focus on the second half. And to just get us to that point, I'll very briefly explain the first half. So Philip, who was one of Jesus's first, uh, well, one of his official disciples, um, left Jerusalem with other believers during that persecution. And they went to Samaria and started spreading the gospel there. Now, Samaria was largely popula populated by an ethnic group who were not friends with Jews at all. Um, they shared some similar beliefs, but they had, uh, at least in Jewish eyes, they had strayed far from the truth. And many, many believers in Christ were made there. And this demonstrated that the gospel was not just for those who, who already were perfect with God, it was for anyone who believed, anyone who heard the name of Jesus and who believed in it. And this ministry went very well, and then right in the midst of it, God calls Philip to something completely different. And that's where we're going to start in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Depending on your translation, that might say Candace, um, but what we understand is that that's a title, not necessarily a name. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And this is a, a section of scripture that came from Isaiah 53. 
The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Here's another translation note. Depending on your translation, there might be a little tidbit where Philip asked the eunuch, well, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you can be baptized. Um, this is backed up in other, it just depends on what manuscripts the translations were using, but I'm going to go to another verse in Romans that will basically say that. So don't get worried. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So I'm just going to take us through the different people that are in this account and just kind of share some things that I've learned about this and things that stood out to me, uh, things about these people, and then our response to it. So the people in this account are Philip, the eunuch, and God. So the three main points I... I noticed about Philip was in this starting with the persecution in Jerusalem. He went out. He spread the gospel to other people. He and many other believers with him did not let that persecution discourage him or stop him in the mission that God had given him. The one that speaks to me very strongly is that he was willing to approach strangers. <sighs> this is where I got really uncomfortable reading this because I was studying it through a commentary by Matthew Henry, and he said something that really got up all in my business. So what he said about this was, quote, we should study to do good to those we, we meet in company with upon the road. Thus, the lips of the righteous may feed many. We should not be so shy of all strangers as some affect to be. Of those of whom we know nothing else, we know this that they have souls. I love Matthew Henry. Right now, I am not a fan of Matthew Henry because that speaks very much to me. I have a hard time approaching strangers, even, even when I'm really, really sure God is telling me, hey, go talk to that person. Go pray for that person. That's just really hard to do. And so I think I can learn, learn from Philip. And tied into that, uh, the reason why he was not discouraged and he didn't give up when he was persecuted and why he approached even strangers was because he recognized and was obedient to God's direction. That brings us to the eunuch. So among the things that the Bible tells us about the eunuch, it says that he's a powerful official. He says he's, he's very smart. He, the duties that he had would require him to be very intelligent. Um, and he was visiting Jerusalem because on some level he, he believed in the God of the Hebrews and was wanting to participate. The thing is, according to Deuteronomy 23, um, eunuchs, and if you don't know what a eunuch is, kids, ask your parents, are not allowed in the assembly of believers in God because anyone with a physical de defect to that on that level was just not allowed to participate. And that wasn't God's way of being cruel. That was simply 
God's way in the Old Testament of explaining to people how important perfection was, a perfection that none of us can attain, whether it's physical or spiritual. So it's very important for this New Testament, the gospel spreading throughout the world, for God to show that the gospel is for everyone, whether you have a a physical defect or you have a spiritual defect. If you go to Christ, you have him. What else we know of eunuch? He, uh, the eunuch, he came from Ethiopia, which as far as that time was concerned was practically the ends of the earth. He was a completely different, different kingdom, a completely different ethnicity, a completely different culture, and he still received the gospel. And finally, like I said, he was a powerful and smart man, but he was still humble enough to say, I have no idea what this is talking about. And he asked Philip, And then the third person in this account is God. What did he do? Well, he called Philip. He gave him clear directions. He told him, go here at this time. And Philip went. And he used his word to reveal himself. The eunuch was reading his word. And even though he didn't understand it, God provided someone to explain it to him. And that's where the gospel and all truth was found. And then finally... He proved his word with the power to spread the gospel. I don't know if you noticed, but right at the end there, it says right after the eunuch was baptized, the spirit caught Philip up and took him to another place entirely, and the eunuch didn't see him again. This is one of the one or two times that teleportation happens in the Bible, and it's really cool, but it's basically God showing to, I think God showing to the eunuch saying, what you just did, here's the kind of of power that I am capable of, but I think that we shouldn't get get lost on this point. I think people tend to focus so much on those spectacular miracles as much as they show how powerful God is. By far, by far the biggest miracle and the most important thing that happened was that eunuch coming to Christ. When Philip got to the other uh, city, he walked around like a normal person and at at no time, there's no indication that anything else particularly miraculous happened. He just was like, okay, well, I'm here now. And then he kept walking and sharing the gospel of Christ. And that's, that's, I think, a really good attitude to have. When God does something big, we can, we can enjoy it and we can celebrate it, but we should continue to just do the mundane things that we might see as boring because that is really where the, the power and the truth of God is spread through his word. So what is our response to these things? Well, first... We can spread the gospel to everyone. It's been said somewhere that the gospel is not a culture. It is a superculture. It basically can apply itself on top of every culture of humanity and explain the true value of morality and truth to everyone in any country, in any uh, kingdom, in any tribe. And that includes strangers. And I'm not a fan of that. So I jumped the gun and I quoted here, but that's, that's where I guess you'll just see it again. So maybe you're like me and you need to see it twice or five times. But we should be willing to be courageous and let God lead us to situations that may be uncomfortable for us. Now, the reason why this particular superculture point matters is because throughout history, a lot of times nations have sort of claimed the gospel as their own. And when they spread the gospel, they, try, they say that, If you don't dress like us, if you don't act like us, if you don't speak our language, you're not really a Christian. And there are a lot of cultural assumptions there, but that is not what the gospel is about. And unfortunately, that's caused some people in this day and age to say, 
well, the gospel belongs to that culture or the gospel belongs to that ethnicity and I don't, I don't accept it because of that. That is not what God's truth is. It is universal and it can apply to everyone in every situation. As long as the truth of our need for Jesus is being boldly proclaimed, then it can and should reach everyone. So the second point that, uh, about our response is we can only understand God through his word. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, if anyone thinks they are a prophet, someone who hears from God and speaks his word, or otherwise gifted by the spirit, let them acknowledge that what I, Paul, am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Paul is saying here that the written word coming through the people that God has ordained to write it to us, what we have now in the Bible, is God's word. This is how we know him. I believe that God speaks to us today and he can give us direction, but unless it lines up with the word that he has already given us, we don't have a measure by which to know whether something is coming from our heart, our head, or from God. And that can cause a lot of problems. So we should not neglect the Bible because it's by that that we're able to recognize the Spirit of God speaking to us. Third point, we can understand the word through the key of Christ. This is really, really important because as much as I say we should all read the word, a lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, right, you're reading it and it seems really hard to understand and you find yourself in the position of the eunuch saying, I can't understand this unless someone explains it to me. And that's what teachers are for. But what Philip did, did is he took that scripture and he said, this scripture points to Jesus. Now that's a very obvious example of it. It's a specifically a prophecy about the Messiah. But all throughout the Old Testament, in the stories, in the historical accounts, even in the names of the kings, you find meaning that points to who Jesus is and what he did. If you're looking for it, you'll see it everywhere, and it completely opens up and unlocks the entire Bible for us to understand, which is really important, and it makes sense because Jesus is the living, breathing word of God. He says in John 5, you study the scriptures. He's speaking to Pharisees who were not, not studying it for because they were sincerely seeking God, but because they, they were studying the letters of the law, saying, well, these letters are what will save us. And he says, no, you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. He is not discouraging us from seeking the scriptures. What he is encouraging us to do is to see him throughout those scriptures and understand more about him. That is the point of studying the Bible. And then finally... This is a very, very important point, and this goes back to what is the most important thing that happened in this account. Philip was teleported? That's pretty awesome. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that there was a man who was traveling back to his home country at the ends of the earth, and he was thirsting for God, but he didn't understand the scriptures. And God sent Philip. He proclaimed Jesus to him, and he listened humbly, and he believed. So this takes us to that scripture in Romans 10. Paul says 
If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Why is this so important? There is, I think, sometimes an oversimplification of the gospel, the idea that Jesus lived perfectly, died and rose again, and if we just believe that fact, we're saved. But the Bible is very clear over and over. It says, in fact, going through Acts, what I found is that almost every single time the name Jesus is mentioned, it's paired with the word Lord, Lord Jesus, Jesus the Lord. All those things show up because Jesus is not just someone who died to save us from our sins. He is not. He is God. He is Lord of the universe. And if we cannot have part of him without having the other part, we, if we come to him as our savior, we must also come to him as our Lord. If we are not willing to submit to him on those grounds, we're not actually willing to submit to him as our savior. So Matthew Henry says this, we must believe, or he, the man believing, must believe with all his heart, for with the heart the man believes, not with the head only, by an assertion, by an assent to gospel truths in the understanding, but with the heart, by a consent of the will to gospel terms. And the terms are the gospel are, I am a sinner, and I need Jesus, and Jesus is Lord. And from this moment forward, he has the right to tell me what to do in my life, to expose my sin, and then to cleanse it and to bring me before the throne of God. That is the gospel. It is submitting our heart and our head to the terms of the gospel, Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. That is what he died to accomplish. And he cannot do that if we pick and choose whether we are going to listen to our own heart and head and we're not going to read the Bible, or when we do read the Bible, we decide there are things about Jesus we'd rather not deal with, and so we just throw those out. We come to him on his terms, and he extends his hand to us saying, let me help you. And so our takeaway for this God reveals himself through his word to everyone. If we submit to him as Lord, we have salvation at the end of all things, and that is a great promise, and his spirit to empower us in the meantime. We are talking and going through the book of Acts, talking about the spirit of God and how it helped those early believers and how we have the same spirit, but we do not have that spirit unless we are saved, unless we come to Jesus. And so we cannot lose sight of that simple fact. We are not born with the Spirit. We are born with the Spirit against God. And it is only by coming to Jesus and understanding God through his word that we can truly begin to live in the power and glory of the Spirit of God within us.